Hey, Typology friends. Yes, once again, Ian Morgan Cron, your host on the podcast where we discuss the mystery of the human personality and the human adventure through the lens of the Enneagram. I'm joined by my co-host, my friend, my producer, Anthony Skinner. Ian, good to see you today. It's great to see you, my friend, and I'm so stoked because today we have a guest that's going to, uh, I think, give us some incredible insight into a particular type, a type that I have a great affection for. Let's uh, welcome Brian Tome. He's the author of the new book, The Five Marks of a Man, Finding Your Path to Courageous Manhood, as well as the book, The Five Marks of a Man, Tactical Guide. He's the host of the Aggressive Podcast, and you know, a guy who's got... A podcast called The Aggressive Podcast. Can we all guess what type he is? Yes. Oh, my gosh, yes. Let's welcome Brian Tome. Enneagram 8 with 7 wing. Brian, welcome to the show. Ian, it's great. It's called The Aggressive Life because we got to get off our rear end and start doing something around here. As all 8s know, I'm not, I'm not a type 8. I'm a type Jesus. That's what I am. Wow. So are you saying that Jesus is the type eight? Because I just want to know. Every type thinks yeah, Jesus is their type. Absolutely is. No question he is. He got stuff done. We named time after him. We're not going to name time after a after a two, but an eight we will. <laughs> I already sense something wonderful happening or something catastrophic. I'm not sure what we're, we're about to, to find out. Brian, I want to just ask you how you learned about the Enneagram, and then I want to jump into some some juicy fare. I really got started getting the Enneagram. I'm, I'm kind of rebellious, as is the average person. I just started hearing about it, and like everybody started bringing it up. And I thought, what is it? What in the world? I've, I've been, done so many Myers-Briggs tests and so many Minnesota. They had one, oh, what's the Minnesota personality, whatever, whatever, disc. Bro, man, I've, I've, I've yeah. been through all those deals on and on and on and on. And so I just kind of got myself tested out. But I got a really good buddy of mine. Who, he's in a men's group. His name is Nick Spiker. And he's a big, big Enneagram guy. And he, every time, everything we talked about in the men's group, he, he kept going like, well, you know, that's classic A behavior. Well, you know, AIDS, they need to have, they need to have momentum. They need to feel like they're making progress. And and at first I was like, well, enough, enough, stop putting me in a box. But then as he was talking and and we went through times with our men's group, I thought there's a lot of wisdom there. So we actually took our couple's small group through it. And that was that was really good. And um mm. it's it's ended up being a, a good frame of reference for me, even though I don't fully understand all the ins and outs. I, I understand the eight and the seven wing pretty well. Mm-hmm. We always laugh because uh we say to eights, you can't just know your type. Because they tend to read the book and they read their own type. They go, okay, I'm done now. <laughs> they're, they're not very much interested in learning everybody else's type. They're, they're a little bit more like, okay, I got mine. Okay, we're moving on. Moving oh, is that on. right? So that's a unique characteristic of eights. Eights only want to know their own, own type and the other they're, types are up for knowledge of, uh, of the other numbers? Well, I would say three sevens and eights yeah. typically are types that are like, okay, okay. Threes because they're they're into efficiencies, mm-hmm. so it's like I don't have time to go do this other stuff. Sevens because they tend to be distracted, right? And it's like their attention span can be limited when they're not in the great space. Eights because, like you actually mentioned, forward momentum, right? It's this constant drive forward, and it's like, okay, I got enough. Give me the big ideas. Give me the big ideas. I don't need. I don't want to get down too far into yeah. the weeds. Just give me the big ideas. You know, not too many details. You know, and so that that can be the the case with uh, with with eights, you know, this, you all are the most energy of any other number on the Enneagram. You have so much gusto for life. Uh, in fact, the way that you opened, it's so funny. We say that the, the communication style of the eight is authority. <laughs> and sometimes, you know, that's the nice, and I laugh and people know I've said this before that, that I, I like to say that it's barking. <laughs> There's this kind of like, you can just feel this, like, no, seriously though, Anthony, oh, am I, I right about this? Oh, yeah, no. And everybody listening is going to say the moment he opened his mouth, all that energy that came rushing out, all that intensity was incredibly eight. I could have picked you out in a lineup just based on that uh, that sort of introductory sort of comments uh, yeah. that that you made, it's so fantastic, you know, so fantastic. So uh, I want to ask you a question: What were you like as a little kid? Oh man, little kid. So I uh, I was born at a very early age, and then mm-hmm. and then I was adopted, and my you know psychologist would say that that was a primal wound because. Mm-hmm. 
the only person I knew <clears throat> who I was in her womb uh, getting up for adoption. It was the right choice. It was right. the most loving choice, but that my little infant brain had to process it as I was abandoned. At least that's what psychologists mm. said. And I would say, ah, oh, that's kind of psychobabble. But if I look at my history, that's a very telling thing about how I regularly feel. I feel abandoned, rejected, like I've got to, I've got to measure up. And so my childhood, you know, that was playing sports. I've got to make sure that I get a letter on my jacket. I've got to choose sports actually that, that I think I could excel in because I need to perform in order to be accepted. So that was kind of my background. But other than that, just a normal, normal kid doing tree houses and baseball and all that sort of stuff. So typically eights describe an experience of powerlessness in childhood. Hmm. And which would make sense, right? Because as a way of compensating for that feeling of powerlessness, one might overpower. And that's how eights roll a lot of the times. They can be very overpowering people, um, larger than life. Now that can be, you know, used to good ends or not, yeah, right? Um, and uh, so... Would you say that that was a, an experience of powerlessness? You know, I hadn't thought about that aspect of it before. And maybe I've, I have thought about my brother and sister were both adopted as well, different mother. And they were born just a few months apart. And I don't, I don't, you know, because my mom didn't have, you know, the gradual ongoing telling signs of a kid's coming, a kid's coming, a kid's coming. I don't remember ever being, you know, briefed on, hey, we're going to expand our family. What I remember is five years old, and I'm kind of king of the roost, firstborn, and then bam, there's another one in the house. And then bam, another one's in the house. And that was really disorienting for me. I don't think so much so that I'm not an only child anymore. I just wasn't like, I, I, I couldn't process it. It probably has had a, um, left an unfortunate, indelible mark that's made my relationship with my siblings just kind of difficult. I, I thought going all the way back then it was it was something that was beyond my control and was, and was very disorienting. And um, yeah, so that might have been it. So uh, something that eights have told me often is that some event that they can point to or not, right, uh, created this message in their head. And the message was, we live in an unpredictable and hostile world in which the weak get taken advantage of by the strong. And I refuse to be someone that uh, finds himself or herself at the mercy of anybody else. And the only person I can really rely on in this life is me. So they develop this um, thick skin, this defended uh, exterior, as a way of masking vulnerability. So vulnerability is a big theme. And I'm going to return to this yeah. when we start talking about your, your, uh, your new book, The Five Marks of a Man. In your own life, how has your relationship, how would you characterize your relationship with vulnerability? Uh, well, the thing I would connect with that you just said is the thick skin in protecting. I don't have thick skin in that I can't get hurt. I have thick skin as a means of defense mm -hmm. and I, and I put up the thick skin because I'm not sure I want to let you in. And in fact, I need to reject you before you reject me because it's way less painful mm. if, if I, you know, chase you away. So those that aided me when I started the church that I pastor right now, a lot of you know, key thing when you start a church is core group formation, gathering people to your core, casting vision. And I did something that I hadn't heard anybody doing at that point in 1995. I had a guy come up to me from another church. He had been there for 10 years. And he handed me his business card and he said, look, I know right now all your core group seems really good and happy and you think you're going to do well. But let me tell you, someday they're going to come to you and they're going to rip your ears off your head and you're going to go, what just happened? Call me and I'll help you through it. And when he said that to me, I realized, yeah, that is sort of the story I've heard with a lot of people start churches. So I haven't thought about it till now. I know what the I know what the solution is going to be. I'm going to rip their ears off before they rip mine off. Mm, I'm going yeah. to set the bar so high for what it means to be a part of this church that if you're going to be in, you're going to be in. And I would, uh, you know, this is way back in the day of. Uh, 
you know, seeker targeted model for those of us who are not churchgoers or the church that started this whole lingo, use the weekend services to reach people who don't go to church and change everything about it. And I would tell people, hey, look, you're going to come and Sunday mornings are not for you. You're going to serve. You're going to serve in the nursery. You're going to set up chairs, but we're here to serve and and bring other people into the family, so to speak. And so, yeah, that could have been one of my one of my coping mechanisms of of just keeping people at 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 a distance. However, I would also say, Ian, just <laughs> we're gonna, well, if when we get into the the manhood thing, you know, men are not well. Men are in an awful place, and one of the reasons is we're so lonely. I have always leaned in community and have always had very, very tight relationships. And that's been really important to me. Is it because I'm afraid of someone rejecting me? I don't know. I don't know, but I, I've never had a hard time at having deep abiding relationships. That's uh, that's always been a hallmark of mine. Hmm. I wouldn't say that most states worry about rejection. Hmm. I'd say most of them worry about betrayal. Oh. And I, that's a theme that comes up repeatedly, not only in my conversations with eights, but in the literature of the Enneagram. You know, this is why eights often only have a very small number of friends for the majority of their life, but they're incredibly close. Like they carry a, mm -hmm. a circle of trusted friends for life. But it doesn't tend to be like a two can walk into a room and make friends with 50 people in 10 minutes, right? An eight, I mean, you have the relational skills to do that, but you are not naturally as trusting and you 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 hold those closest relationships very very tight to your chest. Yeah, at least part of that's true. I don't know that I I don't know that I fear betrayal that much, or else I wouldn't get betrayed as often as I do. <laughs> I've had a lot of just heart ripping, heart rendering things who have uh, betrayed and abandoned me, and um, it hurts me very 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 deeply. We go into long laundry list of if it if you want, but for sure that's on my mind of I hope people stick by me. And I know I'm classic eight in that once you are in, you are in. Like I am, I, I will bleed for you. I will cut for you. And that's that's part of where the betrayal comes. Someone is in mm -hmm. and uh and I, I don't cut myself to bleed for you. You actually cut me. And so that's happened again and, and again and again and again and again with me. And yeah. it's probably something I'm okay with, really, quite frankly. I'm probably okay with that. I guess I'd, I I know I'm a hard driver. And so if I if I take that hard driving attitude to my relationships, relationships just don't work that way. So interesting. I, I started a church, and I was a four on the Enneagram, and it was a very arts-oriented church, so that, that fit my profile. That said, I'm a fairly, and I, you know, of course, I'm 63 now, so I have, I've had some miles, you know. Um, and I've grown as a human being, thankfully. But I remember in those early days, I was thin-skinned. I'm a very sensitive guy, you know. And uh, boy, oh boy, I went home bleeding more nights than I, I didn't, you know, uh, in those in those early days. Uh, because, uh, you know, they're so fluid. People come in and go out of those early days of a church so yeah. fast. And you, you know, you lose them as fast as you gain them. <laughs> And every time you lose one, it just broke my well, heart. Well, you know? here's the thing, Ian. It's I wish it was just the early days of church. I mean, Crossroads has we have tens of thousands of people who are part of our church, right? And when one of them leaves today, it still hurts me. Hmm. Today, if I see somebody who I haven't seen in a year and a half, which is quite frequent, we've got eight different campuses and stuff. When I see somebody... I've assumed that they've left because I haven't seen them. When I see them, I'm like, oh, gosh, you're still here. I give a big hug and all that stuff. They're like, hey, man, never never left. It's been great to be here. But my my default is if I don't see you, you've left me. Oh. And I hate that. It's horrible. You would think that as the church has grown larger, I would get this mechanistic attitude. Well, you know, one widget's down, but we'll just add two more. No, no it, it, it never is like that. Never. If someone leaves the church, no matter how big it is, even no matter how inconsequential they are, uh, and I bump into them, like if I bump into somebody and say, yeah, yeah, I, I used to go to Crossroads. If I don't know them at all, probably is because they weren't having that much of a role at Crossroads. But just someone said, yeah, I used to go to Crossroads, makes me immediately tilt my head go, used to? Why, why not? What, what did I do wrong? What, or are you just a loser? You know, I have to immediately have that internal dialogue because it, uh, it hits me more personal than I wish mm. it did. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
which is to say eights have feelings. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of times people's stereotype is that they, that they're just hard asses who, you know, just roll over. That's a, that's a stereotype, right? They're not like, they're not like Shrek, you know, actually that's not a good analog. Come along there, donkey. There's the seven wing. <laughs> you can't classify me by a number. Stop it. <laughs> well, definitely not classifying you by a number, but you are exhibiting traits okay. of a particular That's subset fine. of the population. I do like that you said, I mean, that you acknowledged how sensitive you are and that you, the thick skin is a, is a protective device because that is. Just like Ian said, it's a misnomer that eights aren't sensitive. And the yeah. truth often is, is they are, a lot of times there's a lot of fragility right underneath that surface. One of the things I wonder, maybe you guys know this, is when it comes, to, maybe you know this the answer, but if it's related to the Enneagram, is when it comes to physical energy and endurance, I am, I am near superhuman uh, in certain aspects. I just did an elk hunt. Uh, in Colorado, it's more like an elk hike. You're just hiking, looking for elk yep. instead of actually killing one. And I'm I'm up at thirteen thousand feet. I've climbed the same peak up to thirteen thousand uh, feet three out of four days. And one of those days had to haul down a hundred pounds of raw meat, and and it it was rough, tough. It was horrible, horrible. And I recover. I do really well physically, and I recover physically really well. But I tell you what, man, when it's emotional things. I, I do not recover very well. I just got back from the border, looking at the uh, border crisis. And you, you realize that there's at minimum 2 million people the size of Cincinnati that comes into the United States across our borders legally or illegally every year. It is crazy. And I interacted with people who had hiked from Venezuela and they went wow. through the Darien Gap in Panama four days with their family and the cartel took one of their daughters and they had to work, work for, for a week. And I hear this. And these guys, they, they show up with nothing, nothing. They said, when we got the U S border, it was like a horror story ended. And as soon as we got the U S border, another horror story started. Now I'm not trying mm-hmm. to make a, some statement on immigration at all. Cause it's very complicated. I don't even know what I believe. All I'm saying is this, I was worn freaking out after that trip. Mm. I was just, I not even after, during it, I was, I was, I, I was toasty, crispy, toasty. And I don't know if that's an eight thing or if that's just a me thing. What do you think? It's actually both, isn't it? Because human beings are more complicated than a number, yeah. right? Um, that said, eights are very concerned with justice and fairness. And for them, when they, when they meet an underdog, mm. When they meet someone who's marginalized, oppressed, uh, left out, uh, voiceless, the eight wants to power up and defend Interesting. And, and be there for that person and connect and champion that person. And so it's no surprise to me, especially remember, you're connected to two, right? The giving, caring type on the Enneagram. Uh, that it would, you would just be sucked into the intensity, the drama, the mm. importance. How do we help these people? My heart is moved. Uh, I'm also outraged. I have to do something. This this has to change. And that's the beautiful side of AIDS, mm-hmm. right? Like uh, they are forces of cultural change because of that that desire for justice and fairness and yeah. equality and uh, watching out for the least of us. It's very important for us. That's AIDS. definitely part of my history. I kept looking at the template of the past of our life when we, we were one of the first churches to engage in the AIDS crisis in South Africa in the late 90s. We built the largest privately funded AIDS hospice in South Africa and ran it for a few years, paid for the whole thing until it failed. It, fa- it failed miserably. But <clears throat> we took some arrows for that because, you know, you had a lot of Christians still at that point who believed that AIDS was God's punishment on homosexuals, even if you were heterosexual when you got it. Just, just horrible, horrible time. Uh, but I definitely had that gene of, or that number, if you will, of there's an injustice here. I want to go after this. And I kind of took that template down to the border, the point of the trip was to say, is there something that people are missing that our church could contribute to? Mm. 
and we couldn't find anything. I couldn't. It was just such a complicated issue. But that might have been what wore me out. I just thought, look, I'm, I'm up for this challenge. We've done this before. Uh, but in the end, it wasn't any clarity, and it, and it just wore me out. Mm. Hey, everybody, if you've been listening to Typology very long, you know that I am a huge believer in the intensive counseling programs at Restoring the Soul in Denver, Colorado. So I am super excited to tell you that now through the end of 2023, Restoring the Soul is offering special discounts to Typology listeners. Woo-hoo! So if you are at a place in your life where you are really wanting to press into those challenging personal or relational issues that keep you from the life you want to be living, listen to me. If you are in a season where personal or relational brokenness is weighing you down, now is the perfect time to contact Restoring the Soul. My longtime friend, and I'm talking 35 years, friends, Michael Cusick and his team of world-class therapists have created an intensive counseling process where you don't have to wait months or even years to find the personal or relational healing you need. Instead, you meet with them in half-day blocks over one or two weeks so you can get unstuck from the place you are to where you want to be. Now, Anthony, you have done one of these intensives with Michael Cusick and Restoring the Soul, right? Oh, man, I have. I love Michael. I got to be with him for a week. For me, he is like a counselor, meets spiritual director, and I would say he has razor-sharp perception and he uncovered some things for me that were life-changing mm, I love that so tell people about this incredible offer yeah this is great so right now there's a special offer for typology listeners only restoring the soul is offering a thousand dollars off any counseling intensive that is booked before the end of the year and two thousand dollars off the regular price if you book and attend a counseling intensive in 2023 no Yes. All right. So that's a thousand dollars off any intensive that's booked before the end of the year, mm-hmm. and two thousand if you attend one of their programs in 2023. Yes. Amazing. That's a huge break. That is a huge, huge break. So listen, friends, take advantage of this amazing opportunity by contacting Restoring the Soul at www.restoringthesoul.com. That's www.restoringthesoul.com. So you mentioned earlier about men and loneliness, and I actually have here in my notes, uh, after reading your material and, and doing research and all that stuff, I made a note that many eights I know, and they won't look like this, uh, struggle with loneliness. What What's your history with loneliness? Well, as I said, I've always I've always felt like I'm on the verge of being rejected. So maybe that's part of why I've developed a friendship gene. I've always I've always wanted to include people. Maybe that's because I was afraid of not being included. New kids come to school in grade school. I want to include them. Uh, kids that aren't athletic, then they're in the neighborhood. I want them to somehow have a place in kickball. I've I've always been that way, and I think that probably helped be be a part of a church that's growing. Is I want I can't I don't care who you are. I don't care what skin tone you are. I don't care what what sexual orientation you are. I don't care what you believe. I I want to include you some way, shape, or form uh, in the church. So that that aspect I think has always been there. The friendship thing started going into a different a different, and I've always had deep friendships, but it started getting much more purposeful, Ian. When I started doing research on pastors who fall, that really got me to be a maniac on it. You know, I I run in circles of the who's who and Christendom. I can pretty much get a call to anybody and they'll they'll answer me. And when someone falls, has a moral failure, I go into deep inspection and research mode. And I found with everybody who has a moral failing, everybody who tanks, they all have two things in common. Two of them. Do you know what they are? Uh, let's see. Well, two off the top of my head. One would be that they, and this will be a question I have for you in a little bit, they don't have anybody in their life who will challenge them and also can say no to them in such a way that that person will listen. Right. Because right. they have no deep friendships inside the church. Not not mm-hmm. pastor buddies of yours in another church or denominational executive someplace. I mean, inside the church, all these folks 
have a void of deep relationships inside the church. The second thing that they all miss is none of them have a a life-giving hobby. Working out is not a hobby. It's 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 you do it to be healthy, but a hobby is something that you can't wait to research. So a hobby is something you spend ridiculous amounts of money on. A hobby is actually something that you need other people to do because you need knowledge from other people. And that's how men build friendships. We build friendships by doing things with other people. And when a man doesn't have a life-giving hobby, he's not getting restored. And he's lessening the likelihood that he's going to have life-giving friendships. All my friends, I'm riding motorcycles with them or I'm hunting with them. Or I have a new friend right now who's helped me restore a uh, a 1978 Jeep CJ7. I've just met him, but two new friends because we're, I'm doing something. I need their help. And so I've become a student of that and a, and a raging fan of that. And I'm trying to shout that from the, from the mountaintops. Mm. You know, it's interesting. Uh, oftentimes I've felt that the thing I missed most as a younger man was an older mentor, somebody that took an interest in me and admired me for no other reason except I was who I was. They had no vested interest in me growing a church or making the money or doing whatever, that they just felt like there was something special about me that they, they wanted to come alongside and impart wisdom. And that's another problem that I see. Um, you know, I, I do a lot of corporate consulting and recently I was at a company, uh, a tech company. Everybody was like 28. If you're over 30 in the tech world, you are literally on your way yeah. out because the technology that you just can't keep up. Like if you're a coder, forget right. it. Right. And, um, I looked around the room. I said, you don't, you know, the problem here, cause they would talk about diversity. Right. And they would talk about, well, we need more women at the table. We need more people of color at the table, et cetera, et cetera. And I said, you have no old people. Right. Oh, they don't count. <laughs> said, they don't count. <laughs> I'm like, dude, you need a, you need a 50 year old right. in here, a 60 year old. You need someone in here who has made all the mistakes that you are about to make to stop you from making them, you know? And um, so that's, that has actually recently been for me a, a bit of a crusade, not just because I'm in that demographic, but because it's like y'all are making really stupid mistakes that could easily be avoided. If you had someone in your life who could tell, you no, and you would have to listen to, or not only tell, you no, also tell you, well done, man. You're doing a good job. Yeah. Go for it. All of the above. Did you All did you above. find in that setting, Ian, that that those youngsters were chumming up to you and just wanting to be around you? Yes. And and in part though, because they were smart enough to realize that I had something they didn't have. Uh, and that was not just life experience. Um uh it was access to a big library. I knew where to point mm. them when they needed something, I go, you need to read that, or you need to go there, or you need to talk to this person, or you need to be a part of that organization. Um, or, and the other thing is, is they just didn't have the people skills, you know, now that may be industry specific, right? But they didn't have the people skills that um, uh, they, they, they knew they had a lot of information, but they didn't have much wisdom. Yeah. They, they knew a lot about their particular field, but they didn't have a lot of wisdom about how to do life with other people. So yeah. that, that, you know, that's a, a sidebar conversation, but it's, it's something that, that I've been, you know, on a, on a soapbox about. So one of the questions that eights and this tethers with this topic of loneliness will say is that they've been sort of carrying with them for a long time is this one. Can I trust me with you? Can I trust me with you? Can I share deeply from who I am as a person and trust that you will carry that as a, as a sacred bond between us? You know, like, can I, can I trust my heart with you? And it sounds like you have relationships with people that you, you can do that with, and that's been very intentional. But it's not, it's not you know, the question does seem to dog a lot of eights. Yeah, it's, I, I haven't spent a lot of time listening to your podcast, Ian, so I'm sorry. So I don't understand the Okay, let's close off this interview now. <laughs> no, done. I just, I don't know the culture that you created with the podcast. So when I when I when I say things, I'm not sure if this is taboo land or just needs to be explained because the cultural context mm-hmm. of who people come to the come to the podcast. Okay, I'm I'm a pastor. I'm obviously a Christian, right? I mean, so you, I'm like a I'm like sausage. You you cut me any which way you want, and I'm going to look the same all day long. I'm going to, I'm a person who, who wants to have a life that looks like Jesus. 
and I believe that the scriptures tell me how to look like him. So aside from where I am on eight, that might be my inclination with a wing seven, but I need to bend my life to the scriptures before I understand and bend my life to eight wing seven. And so the scriptures is so clear that we need to be living open, transparent lives. Uh, Hebrews 10, 23 and following. Don't forsake the gathering together, as is the habit of some. Like some actually have the habit of just not meeting with other people. Don't forsake the habit of meeting together, as is the habit of some, but gather together, encourage one another all the more as you see the day coming. So I take that as a challenge that I want to let as many people in my life as possible. So I am I'm normally Captain Overshare uh, because I want people in my life. And I also have learned that you never get dinged for being vulnerable. No one ever gets dinged for being vulnerable. When you're vulnerable, it, it just attracts people to trust you and be connected with you. And so that's kind of the way I've lived my life and the way I've led the church. So that I, I, I do a bunch of things that pastors don't do. And nobody in Crossroads would be surprised by it because I want to be vulnerable with them and talk about that. I'm one of those guys who likes tobacco in all forms. I'm one of those guys who um, just takes risks and does stupid things like ride a motorcycle 80 miles an hour without a helmet. I, I tell our board about that. So I got to be vulnerable. Like, dudes, I'm, I'm going to do this. If you're going to tell me not to do this, I will submit to your authority. But I don't I don't want you to ever be surprised when when you're hearing these things are happening. That's just kind of a personal personal ethic of mine. I think is I think is scripturally informed. I'm not sure if that relates to Enneagram behavior or not. Does it? Yes, it does. Huh. I, I yeah. Um, well, first of all, eights have very little time for artifice. Hmm. They, they're not people that are. They would be very suspicious of somebody that they felt was wearing a mask or had a persona. Because even though we all do, I mean, but if it's thick, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, they would be very turned off and very suspicious of, of that person. Like they have a hidden agenda and they don't like hidden agendas. Yeah, right? that's me. Uh, I think also what you're painting for us is a picture of someone who has, is also just a very high intensity person. And that is all eight. Okay. You have a lot of intensity. You have a lot of passion. It's, it's very, very clear. And that is a very eight feature. It's a characteristic. It's a you know, just a, a trait of what what challengers are 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 like. And um, now the problem can become is when the intensity and the passion becomes so big that the eight doesn't realize that it's blowing everybody over in their blast right. zone. You know, and they they have to be self aware. And eights, there are certain types, man. Self awareness, you know, they got to work at it. Right. Right. It's like, do they know how to pause? Do they know how to look in a person's eyes and realize, oh, wait a minute, I just went too far. Mm. Uh, my guns blew too big. Uh, my intensity just ate this person alive. And do I have the ability in that moment to regulate my personality and tone it down? And you, so in other words, just I think that's one of the gifts of the Enneagram, right? Is it, it, it tells you this is how your personality might land on someone mm. else and what you have to work on. And for eights, you know, toning it down, moderating uh, at times is a, a really important uh, skill to develop. So let me run this by you. Now, I, since I have the master guru, uh, I, I, I just want to get information from you. The, the guy who's dating Pink, not Pink, excuse me, Taylor Swift, the guy who's dating Taylor Swift, her boyfriend, What's his name? I forget his name. Kelsey. Kelsey. <laughs> I know that. I'm just trying to get under the skin of all the football fans out there. Yes. Especially Kansas City football fans because Cincinnati's <laughs> been a rival of Kansas City for a while. So Travis Kelsey went to the University of Cincinnati, which is, you know, where where I am, where I live. And I was reading an article where Travis Kelsey said he was uh, he's a a lot of people don't like him right now at all. He seems like a jerk for a lot of people. He is an admitted 100% jerk when he was in college. A total, total selfish prick every day but which, every, every day but Sunday. And he got his chance in football because his brother stood up for him after he got kicked off the football team. Brother, he, got, he got kicked off the football team for breaking um, marijuana policy. And his brother, who's on the football team, really went bad for him and got him on the team and saved his life, saved his career. And Kelsey said that, the coach of University of Cincinnati came to him and said, 
You're wearing me out, dude. You're wearing me out. Everybody is either a fountain or a drain, and you're a freaking drain. That wasn't the actual F word he used. You're a freaking drain. You're wearing me out. And Kelsey said he just like, man, I'm Ezra. I'm I'm drain everybody instead of giving people you know life. So my question to you is, people who don't put themselves out there, people who are negative, people who take take take. I want to categorize that purely as you are an underdeveloped human being. But are you, would you categorize that as there's certain numbers? They are that way because of the number on the Enneagram. How, how do you, how do you see that or put that together? Or, or should I not be bothered by people who are drains? No, I find people who are draining tiresome, but um, I think the answer is complicated okay. because yes, you, you, as an Enneagram 8, have this intense amount of energy. It's this life force. It's this larger than... When you walk in a room, Brian, people know you walked in the room. It's not like you just kind of like... you're The last thing you have ever been in your life is wallpaper. You walk into a room and people feel the shift in power. You just are a powerful, bigger-than-life presence. You have a big voice. You have a big personality. You It radiates, mm. right? Mm. Energy. Um, I think that... Um, Obviously, that can become a drain if it's undisciplined, yeah. if it's lacking self-awareness, yes. uh, if it's insensitive, if it's young, right? Because, you know, at 23, you're just an idiot. <laughs> right. You know what I'm right. saying? Like, like your person, in fact, at 23, I would say your personality is in charge. Right. And it's with time and self-awareness that you become uh, at the, you turn off autopilot and you start to become somebody that is at the helm, Right. Uh, in a way that, you know, uh, then bakes into your calculations, the feelings and the presence of other of other people. Right now, I think that to be characterized as a as a train, I think that, yeah, that just sounds like someone who's young and lacking self-awareness and is the phrase I always use is banging guardrail to guardrail through other people's lives. Just, you know, careening like in, in every direction, you know, and that's a. Uh, that that is not a a fun or easy person to be around. Yeah. So I, I've definitely yeah. recognized that force that I can have on a room, and I've recognized it because people have told me that over the years. I'm like, really? Oh, okay, because I I never saw myself that way. Because in high school I was very underdeveloped, <clears throat> and um, just didn't didn't have that level of charisma at all. Actually, there actually was a triggering moment for me in, in in high school. I think that that took me to a different place with understanding that which we can talk about if you want, but I definitely have been growing in monitoring and appropriately suppressing that. In fact, I thought one of the things you were, you were going to say to me when we talked together was, you know, our last conversation 25 years ago was, dude, you came on way too strong. You were a jerk. Cause I've thought back in that conversation and I just went into it with all the, I don't know if you remember all the details. I just went in with the bluster of like, this is the greatest thing in the world. You need to be a part of this. Come on now, chop, chop. And uh, I've looked back at that regularly going, Man, that was that was just a that was a very underdeveloped thirty-one-year-old who felt like he had to make his mark in the world and convince people that you know his ideas are the best. I was, yeah, I was. Uh, I, I regretted how I ran that conversation. Wow. Well, I don't actually remember don't. Uh, the content of the conversation, but I will say that Enneagram eights frequently say that they can look back, and it's usually private, right? Uh, it's a private regret that look back on how the intensity of their personality at different moments in their life damaged relationships or hurt relationships, uh, whether it was, the, it was big opinions or they were uh, a young man and they were kind of bullish mm. uh, or um, they were not sensitive to a, another person's point of view. Um, you know, I could go on and on, but there, but AIDS typically carry, some regrets around how the force and the largeness of their personality mm-hmm. had damaged relationships in their past. Yep. Now that's, that's a watch out for sure. Well, I'm talking about my friend, Brian Tome, who is the author of the new book, the five marks of a man finding your path to courageous manhood, as well as the five marks of a man tactical guide. And uh, we're going to jump into the the topic about men here in just a moment. But I want to just touch base on one little thing that you said. 
about vulnerability. Boom. Uh, I'm so glad you're going there. I I was going to circle around. I made a note. Okay. All right. You go first, man. Well, okay. I just was like, it's highly unusual that you noted or that you found a specific value in vulnerability. So my question was, have you found a value in vulnerability of your own, like disclosing things to others or when other people are vulnerable to you? I mean, do do you have a real value for... Oh, I disclosed to others. Yeah, all the time. In fact, yeah. I had to I had to stop disclosing as much as I did from stage years ago because people just couldn't handle it. Mm-hmm. I like they, they can't. Uh, so I'm I'm still vulnerable, but I realize not as vulnerable as I was on stage 20 years ago. So I've, I learned that there there's a there's a delusion that people want to have about you. They they want to believe that you don't have the kind of pains and hangups, and they don't want to hear all your processing. I, I still share some of it with it, but. Not, I would do a lot more if the average person could take it. But when you get with me in a smaller setting, um, no, um, personal disclosure certainly is something I do. And it, uh, quite frankly, just, just, just freaks people out. Like I'll give you an example, you know, COVID with me and a lot of folks just kind of wrecked us. And I was in my men's group of seven, seven people. And, uh, finally I just said, dudes, I'm, I gotta tell you, I'm about ready to pull the pin and go nuclear. I don't, I don't, I don't know that I can, I don't know that I can do this anymore. I'm, I'm just, I'm worn out. I don't want to rebuild something that I built. I'm sick of all the, this, that, and the other. There's, there's tensions in my marriage that they all know, knew about. And I was like, I don't want to, I don't want to go with that. And, uh, sheesh, you know, I'm about, I'm, I'm about, I'm about done here. And I said, I'm even, I'm even been researching what businesses start. And I think it would be a, um, storage container business or, or, or garbage container, drop off containers that people, you know, you know, there's something wrong in your life. When you're going down the rabbit hole of YouTube, researching dumpster businesses that you might own, you know what I mean? And, uh, and, you know, they were, they were great for me. I, I shared with them because they had the right words that they brought to me and it was wonderful. It was beautiful, but I, I do mm. that stuff pretty regularly it's it's uh it's draining for me to feel like i'm holding stuff in that someone should know Hmm. so it's interesting i was gonna let me compare two words because actually as a therapist i'm gonna throw out an idea i'm not i don't want to undermine your 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 thinking on the matter however i'm gonna throw something out for consideration i i always make a delineation between vulnerability and what I call phonerability, F-A-U-X-N-E-R. It's phonerability, right? It's a kind of a fake vulnerability. You can see it a lot. I hate to say this with Enneagram threes sometimes when they start churches. Hmm. It's this, it's a very calculated vulnerability. Like I'm going to share all this deep stuff about myself. I'm going to get up here with ink on my arms and tell you about, you know, I'm, I'm just one of you guys. I struggle with you know, masturbation and I struggle with tobacco use and I struggle with, you know, I like a bourbon around the fire with all the guys. And, you know, I struggle with my, and there's this kind of like overshare yeah. and it's almost, but it's, it's a little manipulative. Right. It's calculated. Yes. It's like, I'm one of you and you yep. can smell it. Yep. I can smell Agreed. it when I'm around it. I have seen it a thousand times from the pulpit yep. where a guy is just up there and the hair is spiked. It's a, and it's like, it's faux neurability. Yeah. I don't always know exactly. I, well, I, I I know vulnerability when I see yep. it. Like I can, I know it when I see it. And I know vulnerability when I see it. <laughs> you right, know what I mean? Right. It's like, I go, oh, you just smell, man. Like this is theater. This is not true vulnerability. It's it's a kind of, you're not actually telling me the stuff that's vulnerable. You're telling me the stuff that is making me think that you're being vulnerable yes. and real. Yes. And, you know, all right. that Right, trying, trying to set yourself apart from another pastor that doesn't share their life, just trying to set yourself apart and, and sharing things that shows I'm not like them. I'm not like them. People never say that, mm-hmm. but that's the motivation. That That's not what I'm talking about. And to be clear, I don't struggle with tobacco use. I use tobacco. <laughs> I don't struggle with it at all. It's wonderful. More people need to do it. God bless America. But I I think that you're right. It is, it is a, there is a definite manipulative tool that AIDS can do because we're not... <laughs> You're able if you're an eight, you're able to take over a room and you're able to galvanize people towards a mission because you pick. I believe we pick up on cues quicker than the average person. 
we pick up on what could be said here to move this thing in my direction. What needs to be modeled to galvanize movement? I mean, we we inherently understand these things, and I'm with you and 100%. There's a lot of dudes that know this is one of their tools, and that's not the level of sacrificial vulnerability that I'm talking about. So a lot of people right now are thinking you're an Enneagram 3. Oh, really? Okay, because you just you self-describe something about you that is stereotypically, not typically, stereotypically very 3-ish. However, this is what I always want to remind people. Uh, they learn about the traits of different types. They think, oh, well, this type can only do that or only do this, right? But the truth is, all of us can do anything that any type does, right? Amen. Yes. Uh, it, yes. There's, there are reasons, right? There are reasons that the, the reason behind the activity or the mo- motivation for the behavior is different yes. for each type. But vulnerability can be a great defense up against being hurt, rejected, or betrayed. In other words, it, it, what looks like a dangerous act can sometimes be a calculated act and it just takes self-reflection and self-awareness and time to mull it over and, and uh, kind of like, I'm always asking myself without being too self, I hope, interested, what's my motive? What's my motive here? And um, I, f- I found as I get older, questioning my motives yeah. in a healthy way, not in a self-condemning or ugly way. It's just saying, huh, I know that I am capable of great self-deception. And so I, I'm going to just stop and ask myself, am I being vulnerable right now because it's going to win people or, you know, get, or am I doing it because it's just legitimately who I am and it's, it's coming from a a place of mostly pure motive, you know, but yeah, we're, you know, we're complicated creatures, we human beings and um, beyond, you know, we are more than a number just because you know, someone's number doesn't mean, you know, them. Let's get into the book. We're talking uh, about this new book of yours, the five, the five Marks of a Man, Finding Your Path to Courageous Manhood. Tell us about it. Well, uh, probably tracing back to me not wanting to feel rejected as a sign of being an eight. I did the classic things in high school that uh, classic immature boys do who are trying to prove that they're a man. You know, I just said, well, okay, I'm going to start drinking. I'm going to overdrink. I'm going to do stupid things at parties. I'm going to have a bunch of girls. And if I don't, I'm going to lie about something I did with a girl that I didn't actually do with her. And I'm going to, you know, play the part of what, what a man is. And as I came to just understand myself and manhood, I came to realize that the problem here was, was that I was trying to prove I was a man when no one's told me there, that I was a man. You know, that's, this is pretty well theorized if your listeners haven't heard of it or if you have, I'm sure you have, but, you know, just about all ancient cultures and many cultures today, they have a swearing in ceremony where a, a boy passes from boyhood to manhood and it's instantaneous. The term adolescence wasn't invented till 1900. For all of world history, as soon as you could have an erection and ejaculation, your village expected you to be a man because now you can procreate. Now you can go out to fight for us. And so we've got not just adolescence, we've got this period from like 14 to 34 where you can't, where men can't make commitments. And large, a lot of part of it is, as I think, Ian, because we don't believe we're a man. We're not being told we're a man. The best day in Jesus's life was when God said to him, this is my son and whom I'm, who makes me happy. In fact, Jesus only heard from God three times. It's only three times he recorded in the Bible and God never tells him what to do. At least it's not recorded three times, two times, exact same thing. This is my son whom I'm well pleased. So when I had a son, I realized I got to do something different. I've got to bring him into manhood. I knew that from the moment he was born. And so I have my eye on him and was studying the man literature and all that stuff out there and and walked him through a process that I've uh, written about. And it's not about bringing your child into manhood. It's really a book for men. And don't tell anybody, but women are getting a lot out of it too. (laughs) A book about what is it separates the boys from the men, because there are... 15-year-old men and there are 45-year-old boys. It's not an age thing. It's not a what kind of truck or Prius do you drive thing. It's a it's an attitude and a certain approach to life. And so that's what the book is about. So obviously you've read Robert Bly, you've read Richard Rohr, you've probably read all the people that have done stuff around male initiation and, and uh, ritual, uh, much of which is really, really good. Good good material, uh, at least as a, as a launch yeah. spot. When did you become a man? 
I had a I had a slow a slow trickle. I I don't I don't have a definitive moment where I crossed from boyhood to manhood because no one ever declared me a man. Uh, no one ever told me that. I had a a very a bit of emotionally distant relationship with my dad. And then when I met my birth father a couple of years ago, that was a crappy experience too. I mm. I never I never had that that moment. So I've kind of overcome little barriers that was a mark of okay, I'm a man. Like uh uh, you know, a man has a vision and a boy lives day to day. It's one of the marks. Boys are never going to be able to go after vision because a vision takes time and it takes overcoming difficulty. That's what a vision is. Boys don't want that. They want to have a good day. That's why it took seven years to go through, a, get a four-year degree. And so when I did things like I was in credit card debt because I was a boy just buying anything I wanted and I lived incredibly cheaply and moved in with my in-laws and paid down our paid off our credit card. That, that was a, okay. Hmm. Okay. Because I had a vision of get out of debt so you can have a life. So that was kind of a, a passing. That was one of them. And there was a bunch of other, I, I, I'm one of those weird ones that's kind of grown into it. Okay. Uh, yeah. I think, I think most people can't point to a moment. They may point to an inciting event yeah. that, that revealed to them that they weren't a man. But but yeah, at what point you cross the meridian into manhood, it, it's you know pretty probably pretty difficult to say. It actually gave me pause today thinking about my own journey, thinking about manhood and wondering because I had a father that was completely absent, mm. you know, a drug addict and alcoholic, oh, wow. and died and died mm. from it, um, and was very was mentally ill too. So that you know he just didn't have the equipment. He just I mean he was completely incapable of leading me into some awareness of my own masculinity, of my own manhood. And I just, I stumbled around, man. I just stumbled around, yeah. you know, trying to figure it out uh, as, as time went on. And I, I still, I, and it's made me wonder, I haven't come to a conclusion, you know, about how I would characterize my understanding of manhood. You know, I looked at your list of five, go through the list of five, just so everybody knows what you think are the five marks of a man. And then I'm going to, I'm actually going to, throw a, maybe a little monkey wrench yeah, in. Yeah, good. So these, uh, I've asked uh, everybody who's listening, just think about any man who you respect and admire and notice that they all have these five things without exception. There's things that we struggle with. We don't do these things perfectly, but these are the five. So one I mentioned already, vision, boy lives day to day. Another one is a man works, a boy plays. I, I am pro play. Play is incredibly important. There's a whole chapter on play. But boys think the point of life is playing. Men think the point of life is working. Adam gets put in the garden before any sin enters the world. He's working. Him and Eve are working the garden. They're naming animals. It's, it's unfathomable for a man to not add value in some way, shape, or form. Even if he's going to be pushed out of corporate America, he's got to add value. He's got to work. That's, one, that's an, another one. Uh, third one we've talked about, and these aren't in numerical order, Ian, Ian and Anthony. They're just kind of what they are. Third one we've also talked about, a man is a team player and a boy wants to be MVP. Boys want everything to revolve around them. They want to be all-time quarterback. Uh, they're not thinking about others. They're just about themselves. And a man sees himself in a context of team. You're an artist, Ian. So, you know, Michelangelo, he gets the glory, but Michelangelo actually did very little of the Sistine Chapel. He had a, he designed the whole thing, but he had a team. He had a team of people that were painting that with him. Men embrace team. We understand team. Jesus had a team of 12. He was always existed a team of three, Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. Fourth one, men, uh, men are protectors. Boys are predators. This is why the YouTube movement came out or Me Too movement came out because men abusing their power, their physical power. We men take, 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 or excuse me, boys take, 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 whatever they can take, they take it. And a, and a man is a protector. He protects for somebody else. Uh, as a man, you want to have savings. Why do you want to have savings? So you can protect somebody else. So when someone else is in a hard way, you can write checks and get them out of a, get them out of a bind. That's part of the reason why a man wants to have savings. And then the fifth and final one is uh, a man takes a minority position and a boy has to be in the majority. Boys always need to be approved by everybody else. They always need to be in the majority. Men, we're gonna, we're not like, we're not like pigeons that are squawking around in the masses. We're like birds of prey. There's very few of us. We we hover above it all. 
in Cincinnati we used to have a bunch of mm-hmm. pigeons, and they're pretty much all wiped out now because we've got a few peregrine falcons that have taken out the pigeon population. It doesn't matter how big a boy might be, a man will always win because there's something deep to his character. And it also hurts because, like, if I'm voting for you, you're going to lose because my values, my values are in the minority. They're, they they just are. But that's what a man gets comfortable with. He's just is comfortable with the minority. So go ahead and push on me. Well, before I do, you've articulated five characteristics of men. We know that the list is much longer than that, but you've you've chosen five that are really worth, you know, highlighting and, and talking about. I don't think the list is longer. I think everything else fits under those five. I have to think about that. I'm not sure I agree. Okay. But regardless, I think what I'd like to hear from you is about what cultural expectations are of men and how they are in dissonance with the five that you just articulated. Yeah. Whenever someone says, talks, start talking about toxic masculinity, I have to say, well, tell me what, what is toxic masculinity? It, it, this is one of the reasons why men are struggling so much right now. Men are four times more likely to commit suicide than women. Men are two times more likely to have an alcohol abuse related incident than women. Men's life expectancy is on the decrease, not women's, men's. Uh, men are, they're, they're, they're just in shambles, man. It's, it's not, not good. And part of it is how we talk about men. Even the phrase toxic masculinity. Have you ever, imagine if anyone used the phrase toxic femininity? Like, what are you talking about? Like, what, what is this? So I always have to say, when you say toxic masculinity, what are you talking about? If we're saying that it is an expectation for a man to, to drive a pickup truck, I would say, I agree. That's toxic. Men drive Priuses and minivans as well. If we're saying it's toxic to assume that the man is going to be the primary breadwinner in the house, I would say, I agree. I don't think the man has to be the primary breadwinner. I think it's toxic to think that he should. However, this is also why men are struggling because we're the first generation where this was a, a role that we're, that we're not filling. You know, So I think with the toxic masculinity, the ones I would sign off on is, yeah, if it's if it's expectation of culture that men should be in power, I would say, no, I don't, I don't think that because you're a man, you have a right to be a power, even, even in the church. If we're saying a point of masculinity is you're the strong, silent type, you're the lone wolf, no, that's not being masculine. Lone wolves are weaker, and they die sooner than wolves that are in a pack. So I think that's toxic. I think there's a lot of understandings about masculinity that um, Christians and unbelievers and atheists and agnostics may hold that I, I don't hold. Yeah. You, as you were talking about, I call it Popeye masculinity, right. right? It's it's like, you know, I get what I get, you know, and big big arms and uh, this kind of like uh, braggadocio that, you know, blustery um, kind right. of well, this is, this, and, this is, even in Christendom, Ian, there's this, there's this uh, I'm reading some, some of these guys who are talking about uh, dad bods, like there, it's important for a guy to be, you know, in shape and no da- dad bods. And I'm saying, you know why a guy has a dad bod? Because he works 50 hours a week. That's why. Because he's got kids that he's raising and he's reading two chapters at night to him. That's why. Because he gets up early in the morning and he has time with God. So I'm sorry you're one of these weirdos that can work 30 hours a week and part of your job is to work out. Now you're going to crack on people who have a dad bod? No, they're called men who aren't narcissistic like you are. Well, there's an opinion. Yeah, it is. <laughs> I stated like a good eight, man. <laughs> exactly. Do you disagree with me? Sometimes us eights are right. You agree with me or disagree? Before you push me more, can you agree with me on something? Do you agree with me on that? I agree with you. I mean, I'm not disagreeing with anything. I'm, it's interesting. You're... Agree, disagree is too simple for me. I think it's, I, I, I tend to be someone who looks for at the both ends, like yeah. you know, in things, you know. Uh, and oftentimes, eight become, eights can be impatient with me. Um, because for some eights, not having a black and white opinion is a, is a demonstration of, of weakness, right. right? In other words, like, you know, oh, if you can't take a stand, then you're weak. It's like, well, actually, guess what? Uh, some things uh, uh, are gray, right? And for for fours, gray is really easy. Yeah. Like, and I can get lost in the gray. Sometimes I need to be more black and white about certain things. 
Uh, and I have to sort of question myself sometimes when I'm always sort of saying, well, you know, and, 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 you know, which, by the way, is why I sometimes, and Anthony, you know this, I get trolled online, but people say that, oh, he's a nine. People say I'm a nine because I see so many different points of view. That's not true. I'm a four who who is very appreciative of the nuance. Of I like things, that. You know, you said earlier and, something uh, I thought was really cool, Ian. Sorry, did I just talk over you. Please go ahead. Um, you mentioned that all all the types, all the numbers, have the ability and responsibility to do all of the things. And I was like, that that's really good because you know in the Bible there is such a thing as spiritual gifts. Just because. I don't have the gift of service doesn't mean I'm not supposed to serve people. It's just easier for some people to serve than it right. is for me. And when you talk about the gray, that's definitely one of the areas that I've grown in. I mean, I was, mm -hmm. I was absolutely that prototypical aid of, come on, just, just, just spit it out. It's, it's you're in, you're out, you're, you know, left or you're right or whatever it is. And, and the order I've gotten, I don't know if it's maturity or just I've gotten older. I see a lot more gray. I am very content to say, hmm, yeah, yeah, maybe, but yeah. I wouldn't have done that 20 well, I mean, years ago. Listen, listen, read the Bible. The Bible is filled with paradox. You know, you, you have a virgin birth. Hello. <laughs> you know, we're talking, there's a lot of both ands right. in the Bible. Faith and works. I mean, which yep. is it? <laughs> right? It's, well, it's both. It's like, well, that sounds mutually exclusive. Yeah, I know. That's called a paradox. Sometimes it's called an antinomy, right? Where you're, it, it's just like two seemingly opposing ideas that both have uh, validity can exist at the same time, right? Part of what is destroying our country, and I, don't, I'm, I never talk about this stuff on the show, but you've got me going, is the fact that we have too many dualistic thinkers. There's too much black and white thinking. It's more complicated yep. than that. These issues are far more complicated, you, you know, and it, you can't just say everybody on that side of the equation is absolutely wrong. Everyone on this side is absolutely right. It is. And the fact that we have people who are thinking in those tribal black and white ways yeah. is so dangerous. And it is, you know, it, it, you know, I don't know if anyone watched Gavin Newsom and uh, DeSantis last night. I did not, but I read the, the uh, play by play this morning. And I'm like, same old, same old. It's just, it's stupidity. It's just two people getting up there and saying, you are absolutely wrong and I am absolutely right. You are, you are, I'm going to demonize you for the next 90 minutes. And when the, uh, without, like, for example, you know, how many people actually read the other side of the equation? How many people sit down every day and think, I'm not just going to look at my news source or my feed. I'm actually going to read other people's points of view and, and, and look for the merits. Yeah, like none. Yeah, none. Yep. People just don't do it. And that is that is destined to end poorly for all of us. True. Yeah. Anyway, I am, again, I'm talking with my uh, my new friend, Brian Tome, who is the author of the new book, The Five Marks of a Man, Finding Your Path to Courageous Manhood, as well as The Five Marks of a Man, Tactical Guys. Brian, we got to wrap this up, man. But we've been going for 60 minutes, which is the longest interview I have done in I don't know how really? long. Really? Um, oh, that's yeah. the nicest thing you yeah. said to me. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've just thoroughly enjoyed myself. I love the I love the all the energy that you have brought to the 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 conversation. And I also feel like, you know, if we were to have a, a, a longer conversation, you and I could could really sharpen each other because I there are certain things that I'm sure that I could bring to the conversation around the topic that uh, would be uh, from the point of view of an artist, I would love you know, that. like from the point of view of, of, of someone who has a forish kind of mind, but that'd be great. Well, maybe you come on my podcast and we talk about how Ford and eight can find common ground. Oh, you know, fours and eights like each other. I like you. Yep. My mom, <laughs> my mom was an eight. My mom was an eight. My, I have a, my oldest is an eight. It's uh, I have a real affection for eights and in part because fours and eights, feel misunderstood a lot of the time. And I think they, they kind of share that, that experience in life, you know, that they feel a little misunderstood, not, you know, they're always trying to kind of like clarify themselves um, with, each, with other people so that they're clear, but I mean, all, albeit for different reasons. Brian, tell people where they can learn more about you and learn more about the book. Gosh, the easiest place is probably just briantome.com. You'll find links to a bunch of stuff and you can also just go on amazon.com or briantome.com. Great. Well, Brian, man, thank you for 
for coming on Typology. Just such a rich uh, conversation about, uh, you know, frankly, about a topic that, that could be incendiary in some circles, you know, talking about manhood. And I'm, I'm just thrilled that, that you're keeping that conversation alive and moving the ball down the field and, and having people be considering what, what does it mean to be a man? I think that's a, a really, really important question. Uh, in the world. Well, I'm thrilled to have been able to be with you and Anthony and to be pu- pushed and probed and educated. I, I learned a lot today and, and I'm thankful for you and the contribution you're making to the world, Ian. Thank you. Keep going. Thank you, brother. Hey, Typology Tribe, you know what I'm going to say and uh, I hope you take it to heart. May you have love, may you have joy, may you have peace, may you have healing, and may you have rest. Until next time. <laughs>